Um, even where we are in our text this morning, we're going to read the text and then we'll get into it. John chapter 10, verses number uh, 31 down through the end of the chapter. We are reaching the end of the first section of John. Okay, so really John chapter 1 was kind of the introduction of Jesus, but introducing Jesus to the public ministry. And immediately in John chapter 2, we started seeing Jesus interacting with the public, Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And since that point, it's been moving to a crescendo. It's been, as, the, as Jesus has revealed more and more about who he is, the opposition to Jesus has been growing more and more. And so we would say this, Jesus is revealing himself and those who would even be religious, those who would claim to be worshiping God, are um, resisting him more and more as the light is increasing they are closing their eyes more as the sound of God's word is increasing. They are holding their ears tighter. And really the crescendo is going to be reached with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, but this is the end of Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem before the crucifixion. So this is in winter. This is uh, what we would call uh, the Feast of Hanukkah. Uh, Jesus is going to be crucified the next spring in Easter at the Passover. And so this is Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem before that takes place. And so really everything has come to a head. Uh, John chapter 10, verse number, we'll read it in verse number 30. Jesus told them, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Don't tell me they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying, but they were refusing to accept it. They were refusing to believe it. Thou being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him or to arrest him, to uh, seize him. But he escaped out of their hands and went away beyond Jordan into a place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man are true. And many believed on him there. And so we have a rejection of Jesus, and we have those who are believing on Jesus. But it's reached the crescendo. The boiling, the pot is about to boil over. And with the Lord's help this morning, I'm going to preach uh, this title, The Consequences of Willful Unbelief. The Consequences 
of willful unbelief. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, and I thank you, Lord, just for your word. I thank you that you want to speak to us, that you are here present, Lord, that you have the answers that we need, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would just guide my lips and tongue. I pray just for strength. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this service as only you can, we pray. For your grace, Lord, this morning, we pray that our hearts would be open, that we would not close our hearts to what you want to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Consequences are one of those things that you can't necessarily see where it's going to end up when you start. Okay? Uh, someone, who begin, uh, someone who begins school... Um, my brother and sister are there at Bible college, and they're be, uh, really kicking off the first, uh, first part of the semester there and getting started. Um, but there are some things you can do or not do at the beginning of the semester that you're not really going to see the consequences of until you reach the end of the semester. One of the things they always encouraged us was, okay, this is going back a little bit. When I was in Bible college, I went down to the store, and I bought one of those big calendars, uh, just regular calendar, and I would get all of my different syllabi there, and I would write every verse quiz, and I would write every quiz, and um, on that, this is the date, uh, this is the ch uh, chapters it's over, this is the verse, so I could see that it was coming. And there were semesters I did that, and it was the consequences was I, I did very good in my classes, and, and I, was, I was not as stressed and, and then there were some semesters where I was like, ah, I got it this semester. Don't have to worry about it. We'll figure it out as it gets there. Um, and there were some, con I, I could not have told you exactly how things are going to work out. Um, but there are some consequences that came as a result of that. Um, you tell someone, listen, if you don't start thinking about your health right now, there's going to be some consequences down the road uh, that you went... Well, I'm fine, and you can get away with it for a certain amount of time. You can get past it, or you can say, it's not changing that much, but there comes a point when that decision, the consequences, you have to deal with those. And that principle is what we're really seeing here in John chapter 10. We would say this, how could someone look Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the eye and be ready to throw a stone at him? How many would say, preacher, or don't raise your hand, but we would say, preacher, I would never do that. Throw a stone at Jesus? Never, okay? Um, preacher, I, I would never say crucify to, Jesus, to the Son of God. I, do you think that these men... In a few months, they're going to be saying, His blood be upon us and upon our children. They're going to uh, be going to Rome to get rid of Jesus. If you'd asked them three years ago, they would have said, Us? Strike a deal with Pilate? Never. No, no, no. We, we love God and we're, we're waiting for the Messiah. They would have never said, they would have never thought they would have ended up there. But there were consequences that they were now experiencing the consequences of decisions they had made. On Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem, he was there. He was, it was winter. It was not 
only, if you remember that, it was not only winter physically, it was really a description of the hearts of the men that they had grown colder and colder to the words of Jesus. The winds of unbelief were sweeping the land. And as Jesus is, is there once again in the city of Jerusalem, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, when you see, in, especially in the book of John, capital J-E-W-S, Jews, that's not referring to all of the Jewish people. That is referring specifically to the religious leaders. That is referring to those of the Sanhedrin, those who would be of the ruling religious uh, class there at Jerusalem. Because the disciples were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, uh, those in Jerusalem were Jewish. This is referring to a distinct group of those. They surround, if you remember this, they surrounded Jesus. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in John. They surrounded Jesus and they said, how, how long are you going to make us doubt? Tell us plainly whether you're the Christ or not, right? You've been keeping this from us. You need to give us a straight answer. We need to know whether you're the Christ or not. Right? And in my mind, it's, it's big red flag. We understand from our study through John up to this point, Jesus has not been secret about who he is, about what he's been doing. He has told them again and again, even last week we went through that for time's sake. We will not do that this morning. But time and again he has explained, I am doing the work of my Father. Uh, believe the works of my Father. Um, this was not a question um, from a seeking heart. This was a question meant to give rationale to their unbelief. This was, this was a question against Jesus, looking for something to help them solidify their case. Jesus did answer their question. And, here, and what we looked at where he said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and my, I and my Father are one. Jesus does tell them plainly. He gives them the clearest testimony, the clearest public testimony up to this point of his deity. And he explained the real problem of their heart. Okay, once again, the problem was not with Jesus. By the way, the problem is never with Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he was not the problem here. He had preached to them. He had given them multiple signs. The problem was they weren't hearing his voice because they were not his sheep. Right? They did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the, as he was speaking to them, it was going right over their heads. Um, they were not tuned in on the right frequency, we would say. They did not know the voice of God. And then Jesus begins to tell them, don't, you, you're not listening to me because you're not my sheep. But don't you know what my sheep enjoy? That's, that's the end of, um, of the text we read last week. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus tells them, you're not listening to me because you're not my sheep, but can I tell you about what my sheep enjoy? Can I tell you about the, um, what you can have if you'll just be one of my sheep? He says, you'll know my voice. The voice of correction. The voice of conviction when we're out of the path. The voice of comfort. The voice of assurance as we're close to the shepherd. The voice of direction. The voice of God saying, you are my son. The voice that allows us to communicate with God. By the way, sheep, Brother Sam said, this sheep love to hear the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd knows how to speak to his sheep. 
and how to and um, how to speak and when to speak to his sheep. Jesus knows exactly what they need. Jesus knows what you need, and he wants to give you the truth that you need this morning to encourage you, to guide you, to correct you, to convict you. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, here's what Jesus promised. You're my sheep, and I give you eternal life. Something that no one can pluck, no one can take away from you. It is something, it is a gift from the hand of God. And those who are Jesus' sheep understand that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him and that to know Jesus is to know the Father and to, and to walk with Him. Can I tell you, these are some of the most precious promises in all of the Bible. That no one can stop you from being Jesus' sheep. Once you are His, you belong to Him. And if you get out of the way, He's going to go, He's going to seek you, and He's going to bring you back. And that you can never stop being Jesus' sheep. You have the guidance you have the protection. You have the provision of the shepherd. The, 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 the Lord, when the Lord is your shepherd, then you shall not want. You're never going to be in need because he knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the still waters are. And as we follow his voice, he's going to provide that for us and he's going to take us there. He's going to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's the gifts of the shepherd, the eternal life. Can I, these promises ought to make anyone stand up and say, if I'm not his sheep, that's what I want. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should be going, thank the Lord, praise the Lord for what he has promised us, that this is a gift to me, that I am immeasurably blessed. I'm immeasurably gifted because of what the good shepherd that he willingly laid down his life for his sheep. That's what he has promised us. And someone who is not saved should hear these promises and say, that's what I want. Right? The fact that you could be Jesus' sheep for all of eternity and know that His protection is over you and that He will guide you, that is, the, that is what this world is looking for if they were only smart enough, if they only were listened to the voice of the shepherd. That is um, something that they're never going to find pursuing the pleasures of this world. You're never going to find peace. You're never going to find satisfaction outside of a relationship with the good shepherd. These were some incredible promises that Jesus had given them. But these men didn't say, Jesus, can we be your sheep? Did they? They heard these promises of Jesus that we just went over, and what they were instantly doing was reaching for the nearest stone. And in my mind, I'm going, how does someone get here? Where they're hearing the gracious promises of God, they're hearing the voice of Jesus Christ, and their response is a vehement rejection of that. Their response is rage and fury as they are attempting to throw stones. By the way, they didn't throw stones because it was not his time. Jesus was still in complete control of the situation. It wasn't that Jesus had to start ducking stones uh, because he said the wrong thing. He said exactly the right thing. He pinpointed their hearts. And even as they were grabbing stones, they were still power powerless to throw them because Jesus was still in complete control. But their first response is to grab the nearest stone. And then they cry out. 
we're stoning you for, Jesus said, what, what good work have I done that you're going to stone me for? Okay, if, if you're going to try to stone me, what is the accusation? Right? Okay, what, by the way, if someone committed adultery, that was, there was a capital punishment under the law of God at that time. If someone um, broke, actually broke the Sabbath, there was a capital punishment for that. If someone um, was in rebellion and said, come, let's worship other idols, there was the capital punishment of stoning for that. And so Jesus goes, what is the accusation? For what good work do you stone me? Because Jesus had only done good works. The Bible says he went about doing good. Every word that he said was perfect. Every action he did was right. And they go, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Okay, the idea there is Jesus was claiming to be God. They knew what Jesus was claiming. He was, he was taking honor that belonged to God and giving it to himself. By the way, Jesus humbled himself. Right? He, let this mind be in you, Philippians chapter 2, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus wasn't walking around saying, yep, everybody bow before me. Jesus wasn't seeking his honor. He was seeking the honor of his father. And here, the, you're making yourself God. You're stealing what belongs to God. What? All Jesus had told them was the words of truth. And here, really, what Jesus is going to do is, in his answer is he's going to begin to reveal even their accusations are wrong. Okay? Um, their hardened hearts had, had led them to hate Jesus to the point that they were driven to seek the life of Jesus who had only done good. Okay? They're ready to stone Jesus, and Jesus goes, okay, what's the, and we just went over that, what's the accusation? What have I done that would legally and under God's law require this? Because if there's something provable, okay. But even their accusation against Jesus was wrong. Their, their response to Jesus was not based out of something that Jesus had done wrong, but was a response of their heart. Brother Sam put it this way, willful unbelief led people to so hate God in the flesh that they attempted over and over to heave large rocks upon him and beat the life out of his body. Eventually they cried for Rome to crucify him and said, let his blood be on us and on our children. The longer they refused to believe the Messiah, the more their hatred of God's salvation increased. The longer they refused to believe Jesus, the greater their hatred grew. Okay, so Jesus said, You're not, the reason for your attempt to stone me is not because I've done something wrong, but because of the hatred that is in your own heart. That Jesus had already said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother without a cause, you are already guilty of murder. You, that uh, the law says, thou shalt not kill, but to hate someone without a cause is the, is the crime of murder within the heart. And Jesus is... Exposing, 
The problem is not with me, buds. The problem's with you. You have the hatred that's in your heart. Then they had accused Jesus of blasphemy. Uh, okay, the blasphemy is it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay, by the way, we should not, just side note here, you should not say, oh my God, in a way that is uh, blaming God for what's going on. That is, detri- that is a derogatory to the name of God. You put someone else's name in there, all right? Don't put God's name. God's name is holy. It is not to be treated casually. Uh, we're not to use Jesus Christ as a cuss word, no, or as just a fill in the blank. No, his name is holy. It is righteous. We are not to do that. And they are accusing Jesus of taking the name of God and defaming it. They are choosing, accusing Jesus of bringing shame on the name of God by making himself equal with God, by saying, I am my Father are one. And so Jesus goes to the Old Testament scriptures. How many, when we read that, you were, uh, the, let's read right there. Jesus said, verse number 34, is it not written in your law? By the way, this is the law of God. The quotation is Psalm 82, verse number 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all, you, and all of you are children of the Most High. So he was quoting the Psalms there, the law of God. If he called them gods unto whom the scripture came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified, and said unto the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. How many were just a little bit confused by exactly what was going on there? Okay, I was too. That's why I had to study it out. Um, basically, under the Old Testament law, God appointed rulers and judges, uh, we might call them magistrates was the word that was being used for gods here, who were to stand on God's behalf for the people of God, and they were to open the word of God. They were, that's what he said there, unto the, whom the word of God came, they received the word of God, and then they were to judge between right and wrong. Okay? In the Jewish time, they had the law of God. They weren't constantly going to their Congress and adding new laws. Okay, They just had the law of God. They had the law that God had given them, the very word of God. And that's what they had to determine right and to determine wrong. And so there were those who were appointed as rulers who were responsible for teaching and enforcing the law of God. And God in his word called them magistrates. He called them gods. He called them children of the most high. Okay? And Jesus is saying, if the scripture, which cannot be broken, God's word cannot be changed, would refer to those who are mere men as God, not as deity, but as someone who stood in the place of God, someone who explained the scripture, someone who should be respected. If, if you are fine, and by the way they were, They thought of themselves as the rulers. They self-appointed themselves, some of the Pharisees, as the rulers and the teachers of the law. Um, If you're fine with that, then why are you accusing me who am sanctified and am sent from God as blaspheming? Okay, the scriptures can't, and Jesus makes the point, the scriptures cannot be broken. Therefore, it cannot be blasphemy to use this word as uh, one man said, as acceptable to a personage so much more exalted than just mere magistrates. If, the, if I am the Messiah, and I'm using this to, and I am, and I'm using this to refer to myself, that's not blasphemy. The scriptures cannot be broken. 
Whenever the Scripture plainly speaks on any subject, there can be no more question about it. The case is settled. It is decided. Every jot, every tittle of Scripture is true. It must be received as our final authority. When God has said it, it is not up for debate. And here these Jewish leaders were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And Jesus said, let's go to the Word of God. You are so blinded that even the Word of God, the Scriptures that you are accusing me of defying, actually stand with me. Does everybody see what Jesus was saying here? You are so blinded to the truth that even the light of God's Word, you are twisting it. Did they, you, think, you think that opened up their understanding at this point? Not yet. And then Jesus said, if, ye, okay, if I do not the works of my Father, verse number 37, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. Okay? If I am not doing that which comes from God, don't believe me. But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that ye may believe and know, uh, that you may know and believe, excuse me, that the Father is in me and I in him. Okay? Three years before John chapter 3, Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night and had made the statement, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus had at one time been part of the Jews here. He was still a member of the Sanhedrin. And even he had recognized no man can do these miracles except God be with him. This is now three years removed from that. How many miracles has Jesus added to what he has already done? And Jesus is saying, would you just with an open heart at least examine the works I've done? Would you examine the words I've said, the people that have been healed? But their heart was so hardened that in John chapter 9, just a few months before, they had a man who had been born blind on examination before them, and all they could see was Jesus was a Sabbath breaker because he had made clay, not in breaking God's word, but in breaking their traditions. And all they could see was Sabbath breaker. They were looking at one of the greatest signs that Jesus had done up to that point, and they could not see God at all. That's scary. That you could be that confronted with the truth and the power of God and yet remain completely blind to it. If they had simply examined the works of God with an honest mind with an open heart, they would have known and believed that the Father was in Jesus and that Jesus was in the Father. The evidence of the unchanging scriptures backed up who Jesus is and what he claimed. The works of Jesus gave ample evidence that Jesus was doing the works of the Father and was therefore from the Father, that he was sent by the Father. What Jesus is doing is he just removed all of their excuses. Right? He just said, Nope, that's not valid. That's not valid. That's not valid. And what did they do in verse number 39? Therefore they sought again to take him. Drop the stones, just grab them. If we can't throw the stones, we're at least going to arrest him, right? I mean, just the viciousness that is there, um, the hatred that is there. I would challenge you that these men had not started out trying to stone Jesus three years ago. 
That's not where they started out. But, it's all, but we would say this, they've reached the point of no return. Right? The consequences of decisions that they had made are now coming to bear. The harvest is now coming in to where they are looking Jesus in the face and they are vehemently rejecting everything that Jesus is saying to him. He's exposing the light of Scripture. It's not penetrating at all. He is putting on display his mighty works. It's not making any impact because their continued denial and ignoring of the truth had hardened their hearts to the point they could not see. For the past three years, they had said no, 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 no. And now they're at the point where Jesus is telling them and exposing them, and they can't even see it. Their heart is so hardened by the continual rejection of the truth that as God, it, that nothing Jesus is saying is penetrating. This is not a, a consequence of something Jesus did to them or that they couldn't really believe. It was a consequence of their continued rejection of Jesus and they reached the point to where even the words of Jesus Christ were not penetrating them. You see, continual denial or ignoring the truth hardens the heart to rejection. No matter the evidence, no matter the reasoning. This change in their heart had been taking place for the past really three and a half to four years from the time of the message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had come before Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ to announce the way. And Matthew tells us, that they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. John the Baptist had confronted them, I don't care how religious you are, I don't care that you're the sons of Abraham, have you repented of your sins? You have not yet, you're still trusting in your own righteousness, so you're not ready for the Messiah. They had heard that message and they said, he called us snakes? Who does he think he is? Right? And they began to say, uh, this is just some crazy person, we don't have to listen to him. And they had, re they had ignored, they had denied the, re the works and the words of Jesus again and again as Jesus had come and just continued the message of John the Baptist. By the way, in, in the other Gospels record that in the final Passion Week, Jesus would take these men back to the words of John the Baptist and say, you want to ask by what authority I'm teaching? What authority was John the Baptist? And was pointing them right back to their initial rejection of the Word of God saying, and until you're willing to believe what John said about you, you're never going to understand who I am. You're never going to understand the Word of God. How often have they accused Jesus of having a devil? Right? Um, they put their traditions over the Word of God. Uh, so they accused Jesus of being a Sabbath breaker instead of um, being convicted by the Word of God. 
every time they had felt the, convince, the convicting touch of Jesus' words, remember John chapter 8, where they brought the woman in adultery, they were convicted in their own consciences, and what did they do? They left. They had been under conviction that God had spoken to them. Even at that point, their hearts were still touchable by the word of God. They were convicted. We're guilty. And Jesus was there offering them grace and offering them forgiveness. And what had they done? They had all, starting at the oldest, one by one, they had walked out and left Jesus alone. And now the consequences of those decisions are coming in. They are so full of rage. They are so full of unbelief. They are ready to stone Jesus as he is answering the questions for them. As he is telling them, I am the one you are looking for. They are attempting to kill him. They looked the truth, the way, the life in the face and said, no. They had hardened their hearts to where now they were rejecting even what they claimed to believe, the Word of God. They wouldn't even allow what they claimed to believe to affect and change their thinking. They rejected Jesus' statements of deity so vehemently because their continued denial of the truth had hardened their hearts. You go, that's crazy. How many look at that just in a little bit of disbelief? Saying, I, I, how could these men get here? I want to challenge you, things are not so different today. Things are not so different today. We can look at um, the hearts and lives of people today and in our world and in our society where you could tell someone the truth and they could say, I don't want it. I, I don't want it. I don't believe that. I was witnessing to a man a couple years ago, and I was just tr trying to talk to him, and I said, I kept bringing him back to the statement, but what does the Bible say? Just He was come from a uh, Catholic background and uh, the traditions and some of that, and I said, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And finally, he, just, he was done with me, and he said, I don't care what the Bible says. I just don't care what the Bible says. That's unbelief. That's someone who has resisted the word of God to a point where they said, I just don't care what the Bible says. My wife and I, back in the summer of 22, were um, knocking doors, inviting people to our summer concert, inviting people to church. And we had Amy, who was five months old with us. It was a beautiful summer evening. And so we're out knocking on doors, inviting people. And a lady comes to um, the door, and she knew where the church was. And... Um, she um, prompted, this was right in that time, and so she, uh, one of her first questions was, what do you think of the recent Supreme Court decision that overturned and vacated Roe versus Wade with the issue of abortion? And I'm sitting there holding my five-month-old daughter, and I begin telling her, well, the Bible, the Bible teaches that life begins at the moment of conception, that God is the creator of life. And she goes, well, that's where I draw the line. I'm a good Presbyterian, I'm a good Presbyterian, I go to church, but the Bible's not going to tell me about abortion. While I'm holding a five-month-old baby created in the image of God in front of her, 
Where does that type of unbelief and that type of twisted thinking come from? Because I'm sorry, I'm not sorry at all. God has created, and every child is created in the image of God. And the idea that abortion is just a political issue is not true whatsoever. It is a spiritual issue. It is an issue of a rejection of the authority of God over our society and over our life. By the way, that's the same issue with transgenderism. It's the same issue with gay rights. Gay rights that we are created male and female in the image of God. Where does someone can say, no, a four-year-old could make up their own mind? They don't let four-year-olds drive. Where does that hardness of heart come from? It comes from a continual rejection of the Word of God where God's Word is available in creation where you can look up into the skies at night and you can see this world is created by a God. Now you can only know that God through the pages of His Word. You only can know that His Son Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so that we can forgive and You know that through His Word. But the Bible says we are without excuse. Romans chapter 1 tells us the invisible things of him from creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, Everyone can, is held accountable that you can know there is a God. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. It doesn't matter the it's not a matter of evidence. It's not a matter of convincing arguments. It's a matter of believing what God has already said. And someone who continues to reject Jesus eventually the consequences are going to be they're going to stand they're going to stand Jesus in the face. They're going to hear the word of God and it's not going to make a dent on them. It's going to fill them with rage. Brother, Brother Sam put it this way. Unbelief in Jesus is not due to insufficient evidence. It is willful rejection of God's truth. If you've yet to be truly born again, don't harden your heart. Don't tell Jesus, I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll take care of it when I have time. Because a continued rejection of the truth of God's word produces a hardness of heart. That's why the Spirit said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. But there's a wonderful truth at the end of the text. Jesus left Jerusalem, went away beyond Jordan into a place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. They believed the testimony of John. And the Bible says many believed on him there. It didn't have to be like this. Those who would simply believe 
what had already been said about Jesus Christ, who would open their heart to the truth, who would examine the facts of Jesus. They believed. They received the grace of God. Jesus received them. Those who were willing to believe, He opened. We still have the Word of God. Jesus has not ceased His work. Jesus still wants to change lives. Jesus still is changing lives and will bring people, anyone who will simply uh, do the will of the Father, which is believe on Him whom He hath sent. Uh, John chapter 6 there. That is the will of the Father. Can be saved, can be born again, can be made one of Jesus' sheep with all the promises of God. But before we get too hard on the Pharisees and on the issue of abortion and on the issue of um, transgender, we look at those and so how can somebody's heart get so hard I believe you're here this morning because you want to hear from God, because you want to be in God's presence. But there is a danger that we can become so used to even the preaching of God's Word, to even the truth of God's Word, that you stop asking God to change your life on a daily basis. That you can show up to church, go home, Oh, I did my spiritual thing. I'm good with God. I, I even, I read my Bible today, Pastor. I, um, and by the way, that's good. Okay, we pass out the Bible reading calendars. We have the new uh, devotional books out for the month of February if you want to pick one of those up, right? Um, Pastor, I do this and I do that. Wait a second. If God speaks to your heart and you're a hearer of the word but not a doer, we deceive our own selves. And there's a possibility that even you can know for sure you're saved, but you can, and you can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but you can stop listening to the shepherd and stop listening to the shepherd that you end up where you can't hear his voice anymore. Can I tell you, I never want to get there. Samson is listed in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith. Think about that. How many know the story of Samson? Judges chapter 16. Go back. I encourage you to go back and read the story of Samson. He was a man who was called by God to be one of the judges of Israel. He's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, along with David, along with Noah, along with Abraham. And yet, because he stopped listening to the voice of God, he ended up in the house of Delilah, down in Gaza. And he began toying with her as she asked him what the secret of his strength was. And finally he gave in. They, she cut his hair. It wasn't that his hair gave him the strength, but his obedience to the vow of God. God was giving him that strength. The Bible says in Judges chapter 16, verse number 20, he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He had gotten so used to, to living without submission to God's will, he couldn't even tell the difference. And yet he ended up in the hall of faith. Because of how God had used his life despite himself. 
But just think what God could have done with Samson's life if he hadn't got to the point where he didn't know whether he was listening to God or not. He had gotten so far from God, he didn't even know the difference. Every time you open God's Word, it's a time to be confronted with the Word of God. Every time you come to a service here at Community Baptist Church, I pray that God speaks to your heart and you know what God has said. That's why we make such a big deal about the Bible and a big deal about preaching is because God speaks through that and what we need is the voice of God. But it's possible to get used to telling God no. Well, I've trusted Jesus with my Savior, but God has God can't tell, talk to me about my music. God can't talk to me about my time management. God can't talk to me about services. God can't. And if you begin telling God no, can I tell you some of the same consequences are going to take place? I'm trying to warn us. I'm not coming, coming against saying this everyone is hard-hearted. I'm just saying this. I pray this is a preventative message. Hey, we need to take a warning from the Word of God. Don't allow our hearts to get hardened to the Word of God. When God speaks to us, say, yes, Lord, and obey Because those who continue to deny the truth will eventually be untouched by the truth. But those who will hear the truth and believe are going to have life and understanding. A continued denial or ignoring of the truth hardens the heart to the point of rejection. No matter the evidence, no matter the reasoning, Someone who hardens their heart to God is going to eventually get to a place where they're untouched by the truth. That is possible for that is definitely possible for someone who is unsaved. But it's possible even for someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen to the voice of God. Let's take a warning. I don't want those consequences in my life. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us and that you want us to know you. You want us to follow you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and that we would listen, that we would would obey, that we would do what you've told us to do. I pray, Lord, for you to work in this time of invitation, and if you've spoken, Lord, that each person would answer yes, however you've spoken. In Jesus' name we pray, and we'll take a moment And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, we're going to let the piano play a song called Only Trust Him, Only Trust Him, Only Trust Him Now. Let's take this time and do some business with the Lord if He has spoken to your heart.